Lord, we thank you uh, for your spirit that dwells among us. God, we thank you for this country, Lord. Uh, we do pray that you would bless this country. And Lord, there are many, many things happening in this world and in this country that are displeasing to you. Uh, Lord, but uh, you have said that your kindness leads us to repentance. And so, Lord, in your kindness and your mercy, we do pray, uh, God, for those around us uh, in this city and in this state, in this country, in this world, that they might know uh, that there is a God in heaven who loves them, uh, Lord God, and that we might turn from our wicked ways. You say that righteousness exalts a nation. Lord, we pray that for America. We pray that for Uganda. Lord, we pray that for the nations of the world, uh, that they might know that Jesus is Lord. And so uh, today, as we uh, spend some time talking about, God, how it is that we might offer to you uh, the sacrifice that you deserve, uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would enliven our minds and hearts that we might be understand, we might be able to understand, and we might be able to grasp what it is that you have for us today. Thank you for how your spirit's been present. Thank you for how your spirit's been working. It's certainly not because we're worthy but because you're a merciful and kind God who loves when your people gather together to look at your word, to sing songs of praise, to encourage one another, and to celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The way this morning works is we have sort of a double session. I have a, a, a talk prepared, a sermon prepared for us for the first part, which fits into our Living Sacrifices series. Then we take a 10-minute break and we have an open Q&A time. And so uh, you'll be free to ask questions uh, about sacrifice and about some of the stuff we're talking about. There were some really great questions after last night, uh, and last night was a session that I really felt like the Lord uh, maybe wanted us to spend some more time thinking about. We can do that. There may be some questions from some other sessions. You're also free to ask any kind of question you want. You can ask any sort of theological question, a Bible question, question about me, about church, about life. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll make something up, and uh, so we'll do that together, and uh, we'll be done uh, in time for lunch, uh, and that's what this morning session looks like. As we begin this morning, I want to tell you a story about uh, a lunch uh, conversation that I had. It was a person from our church, and a really nice guy, a successful businessman, very successful businessman. And uh, he's just like, hey, look, I'd like to, I'd like to spend some time with you and, and get to know you. You're the pastor of the church. And so we went to breakfast or lunch together, and it was really, it was great. It was, it was wonderful fellowship. And we were able to sort of talk with one another uh, kind of openly. And so he said to me, hey, can I ask you a question? It's sort of a theological question. And I was like, sure. And he says, why is it so hard uh, for me to, to want to come to church? on Sunday morning? Uh, and I was like, that's, that's a good question. And so we talked through, he's like, you know, it's not that nothing good ever happens there. He's like, I do feel like when I get myself there and I get my family there, like I do feel like there's a blessing from the Lord. Now he probably had to say that because I was, I was sitting there, but I, I felt like that was genuinely true. Like he did feel like there was a blessing from the Lord. But he said, it's, sometimes it's such a struggle. And he said, I don't think it's a spiritual thing, like something spiritually wrong with me, because he says, I'm in a Bible study with a bunch of other very successful businessmen, and I think they met together on Wednesday mornings for breakfast or something. He's like, I look forward to that every week. Like, I can't wait for that to get here. And it's a bunch of guys, same life situation that I'm in, and we talk about the scriptures, and we talk about what's going on in one another's life. And he's like, I just love that. I don't have any problem getting up and going to that. 
and he asked, why is it so hard to go to church? And I said, that's a good question. And so I would like to ask you that question. It is hard to go to church. Why? Why is it a sacrifice to participate in church? Five kids. The number may vary. (laughs) I don't know about your family, but on Saturday night or Sunday morning, something happens, uh, and it just becomes really, really difficult uh, to get to church on a Sunday morning without strife and conflict and all sorts of things. Lisa and I have learned no serious conversations about marriage or life on Saturday uh, or Sunday morning. We sometimes back that up to Friday. Um, Yeah, that's hard. It's a real sacrifice. What else? Why else is it difficult to go to church? Sometimes you feel like you got to be perfect to be there. You got to get all dressed up. Everything's got to be sort of okay. Uh, We've got people, you know, every church is the same way. Sometimes you come and you're singing really joyful, happy songs, and you're like, I don't feel joyful or happy. Uh, But you feel like, well, if I don't put on a, the joy of the Lord is my strength, I should have joy. And sometimes you just don't feel that way. Uh, And so uh, one person described it to me this way, you know, we're wearing nice clothes covering up deep, open, bleeding wounds. And so, yeah, sometimes that's hard. It's hard to be around other people for whom God is blessing them and you feel like you're in a valley uh, and sometimes that's difficult to show up and they're like, I just got to tell you what the Lord did this week. And you're like, I just want him to do something this year. Um, yeah, great. Why else is it a challenge? Yeah, sometimes you get, uh, you get church and it's sort of just church in name only and we're not really doing church the way God wants it done and Uh, I'd like to say as a pastor that everything about Calvary Church, which is the church I'm the pastor of, is exactly the way God wants it done. But I constantly read the New Testament. Like I was reading 1 Corinthians 14 this past year, and I was like, our church doesn't really look like this at times. And so, yeah, there's lots of ways in which we're asked to put up with or we're participating in uh, an institution that doesn't look exactly the way uh, God seems to want it to look like. Great. Why else the sacrifice? Yeah, like, hey, day of rest. (laughs) Isn't day of rest supposed to be restful? Like, sometimes church is hard, and so you've had a tough week. Uh, And I don't know about you, as much as we like to say Sunday is the first day of the week, sometimes it feels like the last day of the previous week. Uh, And so that can be a sacrifice, can be difficult. Oh, come on, there's a lot more, yeah. Wouldn't church be great if there were no people? I mean, I say that all the time about my job and mount the church. The very best thing about my job are the people, and the very worst thing about my job are the people. And the same things with church. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes there's pretty tough people uh, that are there. Um, You know you're going to get challenged? Yeah, sometimes uh, you're like, okay, Lord, you're going to tell me something that I don't really necessarily want to hear. And the thing is you can't control it. Like sometimes in sort of like your personal Bible study, you can just kind of close, (laughs) you can kind of close the book uh, or whatever. But yeah, you know, God may say something and you're not in control. Not only that, if I could add to that, you're not in control of what's being said. You're not in control of the songs that are being sung. You're not in control of the testimonies that might be happening. And you may show up on a Sunday and you may feel completely exposed because man, everything about this is about me. I have people sometimes come up and say, 
were you or the worship planning team, have you been reading my emails this week? Because it feels like you guys purposely planned a service with me in mind. Sometimes that's great, but sometimes uh, that's hard. Great. Why else is a sacrifice? Struggling with worship and music. Thank you for saying that, because I'm going to talk about that. Yep. I struggle with worship and music in our church. In fact, we went through a period of struggling corporately with worship and music at our church. I thought I was going to kill me and the church. Uh, and, you know, we're going to talk about that some today in just a minute. But worship is incredibly personal uh, and emotional and intimate, and it evokes very strong emotions. Uh, and so, yeah, that can be difficult. And, and we're going to talk about Usually the things in church that are such great blessings are real struggles, and worship is a great blessing, which also makes it a huge struggle. Jen. We're fighting against an enemy that doesn't want us to go. That is, that's actually what I told uh, this business person because I said to him, hey, look, the reason why it's so hard to go to church is Satan doesn't want you to go to church. Now, the Bible study, he doesn't really want you to go to that either, but he'd more prefer for you not to go to church. So I said to him, if you stop going to church, that Wednesday morning will become a struggle. Like the enemy has set up camp right now on Sunday morning because what's happening on Sunday morning, uh, and this is, this is true, and we can talk about this in the question and answer, is more important and more powerful and closer to what God wants than what's happened in that Wednesday morning Bible study. And so Satan has set up camp. You know, this is why when you open the New Testament and you see so many, what's all this demonic activity when Jesus is around in the New Testament? Listen, Satan's only got a certain number of forces. Okay, he doesn't have an infinite amount of power or resources. He's going to use those in a strategic way to try to hinder what God is up to. The body of Christ is the church. And on Sunday morning when we are gathered together, God is uniquely present. And so Satan deploys his forces most strongly to try to stop that thing from happening. So, Jen, that's exactly right. And so you feel it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Be it. Boy, that's points one and two. This is great. We're, sort of, we're working through the sermon already. That's exactly right that we think, you know, we're very individualistic as Americans. Uh, and that's why church chafes against them because interestingly sort of in new testament thinking and in biblical thinking we're we're community first and then individual sort of second uh and in america we've kind of flopped that uh and so while there are really great things about american culture that teach us things about god one of the things about american culture uh that is a hindrance is this overwhelming individualism and so church is this constant reminder uh that we're part of something bigger than just ourselves yeah. Yeah, Lisa and I, we look at it. So her answer is money. Uh, Lisa and I look at our budget sometimes, and we live in a community where not very many people around us go to church. Uh, and it's a community where uh, people are clearly wearing their uh, wealth or whatever they have on their sleeves. And so we're sometimes like, how in the world do people afford to do this? When you think about, okay, well, there is a significant portion of what we earn that is immediately going towards the Lord. Uh, that's not available. And yeah, the needs are overwhelming. And so you come on a Sunday morning or you participate in a church on Friday or wherever, whatever time. And 
it feels like there's a constant need uh, and money is, is something that's got to be talked about and so that makes it hard. Fear you're going to be asked to volunteer or serve. Look, it's all well and good to hear the, or, uh, theoretically that God loves sacrifice and give him your time and energy, but if you put yourself in a church, they need that time and that energy and someone may come and ask you to do something and you're already maxed out. And you're already tapped out. And look, hey, I'm a pastor. And I would like to say every time that we ask somebody to do something, it's always for good motives. But sometimes people are like, look, we just need someone to sit here with these kids uh, in the nursery, and it's hard. And sometimes you and sometimes I get asked to volunteer or do things, and it may not have been for the right motives. And maybe we're left in there too long, and maybe there's not any encouragement that comes along the way. And that can be hard. Now, we could stay here all day because if I talked about why church is hard, there's a lot more reasons. But here's the point. Church is a sacrifice. And so we've been talking together about sacrifices that please the Lord. We talked about the fact that our money, our time, our energy, the kind of things that God has given to us, he's asking from us our best. We talked about the fact that God loves a broken and contrite heart. He just loves it. Uh, that's a gift that he, he can't put a price tag on. Uh, we talked last night about the fact that God loves mercy. When you and I choose to look at someone else with mercy instead of law or with justice or whatever that, nothing is more pleasing to his heart. This morning we want to talk about the fact that when you and I participate in church, when we gather together with God's people, it's a sacrifice. But it's a sacrifice that God is pleased with. So take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now at this point you may have figured out how I set up this sermon series. It's basically, uh, as I prayed and asked the Lord and he said he wanted us to talk about sacrifices, I kind of went through the New Testament and the Old Testament and looked for times where the idea of sacrifice was presented. There's more than we're able to cover here. Uh, but I sort of prayed about them, and, and God picked different ones. And so we're looking at a passage in 1 Peter where we're going to talk about church, uh, and it's identified as a sacrifice. And you know what? When I read that, that was an encouragement to me. Because I'm like, well, God still wants me to do church. He still wants me to participate in church. But I'm glad at least that it's recognized that it's hard, that this is a difficult thing, and that when I'm saying, look, this is hard for me, that's what the Bible is affirming. Uh, now, he, God still wants it from us as a gift, but he's identifying that when we participate in the church, it is truly a gift, and it's a gift that is costly that we're giving to him. Okay, 1 Peter 2, let me kind of set the context for where we are in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1 is really all about becoming a Christian. It's about how we became Christians. It's about how uh, God called us and the, and the kind of people he wants us to be. And so it kind of sets the context of being Christians, especially living in a world that's unchristian. So Peter is writing to those who are exiles and strangers, people who are going through their day-to-day -day experience feeling like they're aliens and like they don't fit in in the world around them. And truly, more and more in America, that's the case. Uh, and so I think First Peter is a book that resonates more and more with our experiences in America where you're like, if you, if you believe what Jesus said, man, you're crazy. Uh, and so First Peter is, Peter's writing about that. When you get into First Peter 2, so verses 1 to 3, it says, 
Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, how many of you have met Justin and Anna? Justin and Anna, raise your hands. They're here with two twins, brand new twins. Many of you have held those twins uh, and helped with that. I'm writing this sermon, and I'm thinking about the two of you, because here it is in, in 1 Peter 1, we're talking about the fact that uh, God uh, gives us new life. And when you think about the metaphor of new life, you think about babies, and you think about twins and Anna. There's a lot of feeding that goes on uh, with twins. And so I don't, this is maybe the only time I'm seeing you not feed uh, a child. <laughs> That's what 2 Peter, 1 Peter's talking about is the fact that, okay, in chapter one, we're giving birth to babies. Well, in chapter two, and even though these are twins, they both need to feed separately, meaning they both need, they each need this, the same amount of milk. And so the idea is as, as individual Christians, we each need milk. We need milk to be able to grow. And when you receive from the Lord the nourishment, especially when you're sort of new in the faith and you're growing in the faith, you begin to crave it like a newborn baby uh, who craves milk. And so the first three verses are talking about when you become a Christian, you begin to start to grow. Now, I was with Justin and Anna in Israel uh, this year, and they signed up for family camp last summer kind of in our church, we sort of said, okay, you got to sign up uh, now. They're part of our church group. And they conceived and gave birth to twins before family camp came around uh, this year. So this was not really the plan when they signed up. Uh, but God's made a way. It's been, it's been amazing to see you all here and to see people from our church help them and to see people from this group uh, just help and carry babies and do whatever. It can. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful picture. But while we're in Israel... I'm asking Justin, okay, how, you, how do you feel about the fact that you got babies that are, uh, that are coming? And so one of the first things he said to me was, we got to figure out how to house these kids. Like, where are we going to, how's this going to work? Uh, now, fortunately, Justin is a contractor, and so he's able to sort of do that and think about that. But when you have a baby or you know that a baby is coming, one of the first thoughts you have is, where are we going to place this child? How are we going to provide housing for this child? We want this child to be able to be protected. We want a house for this child. Lisa and I recently uh, had to think through some housing stuff, not because we were having another baby, um, but because our babies were growing. And when you think about babies growing, we think about, okay, well, we, gotta have, we, got, we need some different housing stuff. Now, the nice tie-in is, is that Justin helped us uh, as a contractor get our housing situation settled uh, for our babies growing up. And the point is, is look, you're not going to think about babies, whether they're newborns or growing, without also thinking about how we're going to house these babies. Does that make sense? The very next thing that God is going to talk about after he talks about people coming in the new birth in the faith and them growing in the faith, how are we going to house these kids? This is our passage. 1 Peter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ, okay? Spiritual sacrifices, that's the phrase we're looking for. We want to offer to God things that he's pleased with. His love language is sacrifice. And here in 1 Peter 2, it's talking about us offering to God a spiritual sacrifice, meaning something that is pleasing to him in the spirit, just like Romans 12 was talking about. And what we're talking about here is our community of faith. The imagery is that of a building. And so Peter is referring to the fact that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The cornerstone that the builders rejected has become the foundation stone of a whole new building. And so he's using building imagery here. And the idea is, if you can imagine a gigantic cornerstone, and then he uses this really interesting thing, like because that cornerstone was raised from the dead, we kind of are mixing metaphors here, he talks about it as a living stone. And you and I, when we become Christians, we're like little baby living stones. And when you draw closer and closer to Jesus, that's verses one through three, you begin to grow as a stone and God places you as all of us as individual stones draw closer and closer to the cornerstone. God uses that to build a spiritual house. That's the imagery that's going on here. We are talking about the church. Now, we're not talking about individuals. How do I know that? See verse 5? You also, that you is plural. Okay, now in English, we can't tell if it's singular or plural. In Greek, you can. So it's a plural you. Like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house singular if he was talking about us as individual have you ever heard that your body is a temple of the holy spirit okay that comes out of first corinthians 6 that's correct but that's not what this passage is talking about this is not talking about how we individually are spiritual houses that would read you plural like living stones plural are being built into spiritual houses plural that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about you, plural, like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house, singular, which means we're talking about the church. The exact same thing happens in 1 Corinthians 3, where we find out that your body, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That passage is talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 6 is talking about us as individuals. So here Peter is talking about the fact that we are being built into a house uh, in which God dwells and that we are offering to God spiritual sacrifices. Now here, he uses the language of priesthood, switching metaphors once again. Because we're less familiar with the metaphor of priesthood, I'm gonna stick with the building imagery. And the idea here is God is building a house because he wants the neighbors to come to faith, okay? And you can imagine that if you build a house and you build it well, the neighbors are gonna come by and go, man, who built this thing? I want that guy to do whatever reconstruction work needs to happen at my house. You know this, if you do a remodel project or a new build, the builder was gonna put a sign out front, right? Why do they do that? Free advertising, like if this is good work and you want this kind of work done on your house, call this builder. 
Well, that's what God's doing with the church. He's building a spiritual house, putting it in unchurched neighborhoods so that people look and go, whoa, who built that house? Because that's the guy, I want that guy to build my house. So God is using the church as advertising, if you will, of his glory. Same thing as if uh, the house is a place where people can be invited in from the neighborhood and they can come in and receive hospitality. And so God's building a house because he wants to invite people who don't know him to come and meet him. And how do you meet your neighbors if not invite them over to your house? God's also building a house, same reason you and I have a house, We want a place where our kids can grow up and become the kind of children and adults that God is pleased with so that when they go out in the neighborhood, they're a good witness to what's going on inside the house. God's doing the exact same thing. He's building a house so that his babies can grow up to be and look just like Jesus so that when they go out from the house and interact with people in the neighborhood, people can say, what house, what family did those kids come from? I want to know how they're doing what they're doing. So God is building a house. That's what the priesthood metaphor means, is he's building a house because he wants the world to come to know that Jesus is Lord. And the house that he's building is the church. Now it's important to know, notice that it says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's important to recognize the timing that's going on in these verses. What Peter is not saying is God builds your local church, and when it's finally, and you understand when we talk about, I'm moving out of the metaphor, when we talk about building the church, we're not actually talking about the bricks and mortar. Like we're talking about the people. Uh, We're just using the metaphor of bricks and mortar. But as God builds the church, meaning the people, we can sometimes think, okay, once we're fully done as a church, then we'll start doing some stuff that will be an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. That's not what this says. This says as you are being built into that church, that itself is part of the sacrifice. That's why I'm saying to you, Choosing to go and participate in the church is itself the sacrifice. It's not that you go to church and then start doing sacrificial things. Simply being willing to be part of the building, simply allowing the master builder to pick you up and put you in place, that itself is the sacrifice. That's why we started with the question, why is church so hard? Because just getting to be part of the building is itself a sacrifice. And as God is doing the building, you and I are being asked to sacrifice so that he can build the kind of house he wants to build. Now, what are the sacrifices we're being asked to make? There's hundreds of them. We listed a few of them already, but I want to give you three that sort of come out of 1 Peter. The first has to do with worship. So thank you uh, for bringing that up. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Church is a place 
where the praises of God are being offered. That is a sacrifice because worship is hard. Currently, our church is uh, literally going through a building project. Uh, Our building project, we've called it Grace Beyond. In that building project, we hired an interior, I didn't, someone hired an interior designer to help us make sure, so we're remodeling the youth space and the sanctuary and building new children's space and a whole bunch of stuff. We hired an interior designer uh, to help us. Now, I'm an engineer, or at least formerly an engineer. I didn't know interior designers even existed. I just thought, well, you build something so it works. Who cares what it looks like? That's not how this world works. Uh, God created beauty and aesthetics, words that somehow passed me by for 44 years of my life. But we've got this interior, and what her job is, is listen, if we just simply let the children design the children's space, the children's ministry design the children's space, and the youth ministry design the youth space, and we let the adult ministry design the adult space, we'd have individually great-looking spaces perhaps, but there wouldn't be anything that sort of tied them all together. The interior designer is there to say, look, there is individual expressions in the children's ministry and in the youth space and in the sanctuary, but this is one place. This is one house, and we want there to be kind of one feeling as you walk from place to place. That's a metaphor for what God is wanting done in the church, not as a building bricks and mortar, but a church as a people. And the reason why worship is so hard, and again, I should have thought of this stuff and planning ahead of time. I'm not a great planner. I'm sitting there, and Wendell is leading us in hymns that I used to sing when I was a kid, but we don't sing as much anymore. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this couldn't be any more perfect. Like what I'm trying to get across is is the point that there are individual styles of worship. There are individual ways of worshiping, and it's very emotional and it's very personal. And I know there's lots of people that may have sung the song Blessed Assurance and thought, This is just, it's kind of just even poor poetry. There's a lot of people who sang Blessed Assurance who thought, this is my life song. Like this means, and they're thinking back to the time in which God used that song in their life to move very powerfully. The problem is, is God didn't use the song Blessed Assurance in everybody's life in the same way. That's why the sermon's a little easier because God has used this one thing in all of our lives, but when it comes to songs, it's very individualistic. And if you went through a very difficult time and you heard the song Blessed Assurance, that song will mean something to you for the rest of your life. And if you didn't, that song is just going to sound like words on a screen or in a book. But the point is, if somebody walked into our new building and walked from room to room and thought, what do these rooms have to do with each other? They're going to think, Whoever's in charge of this project doesn't have any idea what they're doing. We want individual expression, but we have to have something that's going to tie the whole thing together. And what's going on on a Sunday morning is the Holy Spirit is the interior designer. And he's using various songs and various testimonies and various different elements, each expressed within people's individualism, but yet it's tying them all together so there is a beautiful unity coming out of the whole thing. But the problem is that means that there are going to be certain elements during worship that you may not particularly resonate with. 
There are lots of elements of the worship service that I don't resonate with. The reason why it's a sacrifice is our children's ministry and our youth ministry have to give up certain things about the way they want their space designed so that we can have unity amongst the whole building. So too, you and I, when we come to participate on a Sunday morning, we've got to give up certain things that we might like or might resonate with us so that the person next to us or the person in front of us can have an experience in which God is speaking to them. And so the reason why if God's going to build one house, listen, if you walked into a house and you're like, okay, there's, we got some kids and they live in this room and we got some other kids and they live in this room and the kids in this room never interact with the kids that live in those rooms, you would think something's the matter with this house. People walk into church and we go, okay, if you like this kind of music, you go here. And if you like this kind of music, you go here. And if you want to hear this kind of sermon, you sit there. And if you want to hear this kind of thing, somebody's going to walk in and go, what kind of builder is this? Whose house is this? Who does this? Who segregates their kids so that the kids hang out with only the kids they like playing with that day? But it's hard. We have four kids. Only four kids. Trying to get four kids to play together is hard. Trying to get 400 kids to worship together, that's difficult. That's why it's a sacrifice. Because God says, this thing doesn't work. This thing doesn't work if everybody comes to the house demanding that their room look exactly the way they want their room to look with no give or take on the fact that we need some sort of unity tying this whole thing together. Second reason why church is such a sacrifice. You can turn over there. We're not gonna look at any particular verse. First Peter 4 is about community. The reason why church is difficult, it's like we said, because of the people. It's because of community. You know, it's interesting. So in our, in our building project, I'm not sure how in the world we got into this design that we got into. Um, but essentially what we had to do is we had to take the roof on our current structure. We had to raise it three quarters of an inch, which I think they said was some 600,000 pounds. Uh, to raise this roof up, take out the load-bearing wall, put in a new load-bearing truss, uh, and then set the roof back on top of it. Currently, the roof is still slightly lifted, and the reason is, is because although the vertical load-bearing truss is there, there's nothing to stop the lateral thrust yet. And so the point is, if you put the roof down, it would just push everything out in the wrong direction. So as an engineer, that stuff's interesting to The interior design stuff, it's a foreign language. The engineering stuff, I'm like, that stuff's interesting to me. But the point is, is listen, all the parts of the building are connected together. That when you put the roof down, it increases the stress on everything that's connected to one another. When you take a two by four and you pound it into a stud wall, it's connected to everything else in the wall because when the stress comes on the house, all the different parts have to bear their, their weight. Well, one of the reasons why church is such a difficult sacrifice is 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one part suffers, speaking about the church, every part suffers with it. Now, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, look, notice carefully what this says. It doesn't say if one part suffers, every part should suffer with it. It says, if one part suffers, every part does suffer with it. There are some days I walk into church and my life is going great. I am full of the blessings of the Lord. And I run into somebody who's suffering. 
And all of a sudden, the Lord asks me to carry some of the weight of their suffering. And that's a sacrifice. There's sometimes when I'm like, I walk in, I'm like, okay, there's a heaviness here, and I don't even know why it's here. I'm experiencing that verse right there. And sometimes we're walking in and we're simply experiencing suffering, not because of something we did, but because people around us are experiencing suffering. That's what happens in community. Now, the positive side is sometimes you can walk in and people are rejoicing and you get to rejoice with them. But the reason why it's a sacrifice is we have sinners who are weak and broken and struggling that God has put in the house. And when you and I go through difficult things, the whole house bears the stress at the same time. And so the second reason why church is a sacrifice is because community's hard. We are connected to one another. Uh, Justin and Anna having these uh, twin babies, they're stressful. We're their family. We've, as a family, had twin babies. And so we as a family are all uh, chipping in and we are connected. And that's what God's saying is, look, you can pretend that you're not connected, but you are. (laughs) He's not telling us, try to act as if you are. You are connected. And because you're connected, other people's sins will affect you. Other people's suffering will affect you. Now look, other people's blessings will affect you as well. But in the moment... We don't think about that. We think about the fact I'm suffering because of what other people are doing or going through, and God says that is how this works, and that's partly why it's a sacrifice. Third and final reason. If you keep going with me, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5 are all about submission. They're about people submitting to the leaders in the church, submitting to the elders in the church. The reason why church is such a sacrifice is because we're asked to come and submit our will, not just to God's will, but to God's will expressed through human people who sometimes get it wrong and sometimes don't articulate it the way it should be or sometimes don't have the full picture of what God's up to, but God still asks us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, sticking with our building analogy, notice that it says in, in, in chapter two, you are being built into a spiritual house, not you are building yourself into a spiritual house. Someone else is doing the building and that builder's name is Jesus. And when the builder picks up building material, he decides where in the house it goes. The building material, the Bible uses this metaphor, the the clay doesn't get to the side of the potter, why are you making this way? To stick with our metaphor, the brick doesn't get to say to the builder, why are you placing me in this spot? Why are you asking me to do this thing? Why are you giving me this task in the house? But the point is, if God's going to be able to build his house, You and I are going to have to submit our wills to his will. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to express his will often through those human, fallible humans that he's placed in leadership. Now listen, God never excuses sin in leadership ever. He says, I will hold them accountable, and in some cases they will be held doubly accountable. 
But nowhere in all of the scriptures are you ever going to find God saying, except when sin is at stake. Nowhere are you going to find him saying, do what the people in authority over you tell you, uh, when they tell you to do, if you feel like it. But that's a sacrifice. In our church, uh, I'm an elder uh, among 14 elders. But for the most part, I basically function under the authority of the elders. I have the sort of ability to vote on things, but I don't. Uh, and so they too, they make decisions that I don't agree with sometimes. Uh, and they make decisions that I don't necessarily like. And I have to implement some things and I'm not necessarily like, I, Lord, I don't know if this is the right thing we're supposed to be doing. Now, again, I'm not saying we're not talking about stuff where they're not asking me to go out and commit murder. Okay. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can think I wouldn't do it this way. You can think I'm not even sure this is from the Lord. But it's not specifically being said to disobey the Lord. And sometimes God asks us to submit things that we simply don't understand. And that's hard. And it's a sacrifice. Now, I felt encouraged as I was going through this and looking at these three things from 1 Peter that I also turned to the passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And there I read in verses uh, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise what sacrifice is that? Worship. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's verse 15. Verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for which with such sacrifices God is pleased. What sacrifice is that? Community. Verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority as those who must give an account, do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There's the sacrifice of submission. All three right in a row in Hebrews 13. And the point is, and again, I've already said this, but I just want to emphasize it. If going to church was easy, if participating in church was easy, it wouldn't be called a sacrifice. And when I read in the scriptures that this is hard, that this is difficult, when I get up on a Sunday morning, and yeah, hey, I get paid to go, that doesn't mean I get up and want to go all the time. It's helpful to me to realize, but this is a gift I'm giving to God. Because sometimes we fall into the mindset, what did you get out of church today? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with that because God is present when we gather to church and we should expect that when we're in God's presence, we're going to be blessed. All I'm doing is adding another perspective to that which is what did you give today? I gave by showing up. And we couldn't do, look, you can't do church if no one shows up. I just simply showed up today and this is my gift to the Lord. And I'm offering him the sacrifice of simply me being here. That's been helpful for me to realize. Church is not only about what I receive. It's also this great opportunity to give to God something that he loves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of church, Lord, uh, and every gift that you give is both wonderful, uh, Lord, and does cost us something. And so, God, uh, I pray that as we look at the, your church, we would see, Lord, beyond what humans are doing and see what you're up to. Thank you for First Peter that allows us to see your plan. And God, I pray for each person here. I don't know what their struggles are with the church, uh, but I know they have them because they're human. 
And so God, I pray whether it's with worship or with community or with submission or with something else, Lord, that you would use your word today to encourage our hearts, uh, that our participation in your community is a gift that we give to you to express our love to you. And I thank you, Lord, that we're able to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.